the key momentum indicators because that is truly the kryptonite of any mo- any mentor. If you can show that you are already creating your own momentum, that's what they are so inspired by. It's like you're going 150 miles an hour on a road one direction and you want their help so you can go 160 miles an hour. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. Today, we're going to dive into how to find your next mentor or mentors and and the reason why that's so valuable, especially during this time of uncertainty, whether you are maybe struggling just from a mental standpoint, just kind of feeling a little defeated, what you're doing currently is, isn't maybe working, what you were hoping to do maybe has changed. Having that mentor base, whether it's just one specific one or it's a it's several is so important. It's important at any time. It's an evergreen type of tool to have in in your quiver that's always green and needed. But more than ever, I think the knowledge that Mr. Hunter Thomas Thompson, our guest today, is going to share with us is is more valuable than than it has been the last year or two years during a very strong up market. So we want to welcome Mr. Hunter on the show today. Hey, thanks again for having me on. Much appreciated. Yeah. Well, before we dive into that, we always like to go back in a little about you personally and, and learn about you and your real estate career. So let's let's dive into that first time that you did a real estate deal or you got engaged in the real estate world where you knew, hey, wow, the power of real estate and the passion of real estate is there. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I was very much insulated from the crash of 2008. I was still in college at the time. And so when 2008 happened, it was a kind of a green light for me to engage with and study the world of finance. And so I went all in on education, focused on the stock market, bonds, learning about algorithmic trading and day trading, and also value investing was just absolutely motivated by and inspired by guys like Warren Buffett, obviously, Charlie Munger, et cetera, and started investing you know, based on the discounts that were in the market at the time and the distress that was in the market at the time and saw legitimate proceeds and returns generated from that strategy, like most people did that started in 2008. And then in 2010, something happened that most people don't talk about. But for me, it was just an incredibly powerful moment, which was the European debt crisis. And basically, very similar to what happened in the United States, markets in Europe froze up central banks had complete lack of liquidity, there were bailouts, there was massive uncertainty. And it created incredible volatility in the US markets. And so after all this work that I had done, thousands of hours of reading and researching, now all of a sudden, something as obscure as the Greece bond yields were playing a huge role in my financial well-being. And this sent me on a path to figure out how can I create investment vehicles that produce predictable returns that are straightforward enough so that a small family office or even individual can conduct due diligence and actually mitigate those unforeseeable risks. And I was open to anything, but real estate caught my eye very quickly. And 
because of the timing in the market, because of where I moved, being California, which was so devastated by that collapse, I was quickly able to network and build my career around some extremely savvy, extremely sophisticated real estate entrepreneurs and investors. And so I was able to leapfrog a lot of the things you hear people start their career out with in single family fix and flips, for example, and jump right into the world of $15 million, $50 million syndications. And that was kind of my entrance into real estate was to those really complicated asset classes. Yeah, because you, you are the founder currently, or you, you have been and currently of ASIM Capital, which is a private equity firm based out of LA. Um, and you've overseen and directed the purchase of, I think I'm seeing this right, 90, mil, 90 million? 90, that's right. Yes, of commercial real estate across a variety of asset classes. So that's a big number. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a lot of single family houses that you would have to do to, to get to that number. So, so yeah, take, uh, tell us a little bit more about getting to that number and, and why you chose to maybe go jump leapfrog the single family uh, route and go right into a sim capital type private equity place. Yeah. So first of all, it's a great question. You know, I think that part of it is all the reasons that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with in the sense of the scalability, you know, Rod Cleef, guy that has a really popular podcast, just puts it simply, there's too many addresses in single family. There's so many addresses that it's hard to get that scalability. If you can have one manager manage 200 you know, properties or equivalent of being houses in one address, it's going to be a lot more scalable. The infrastructure is just much more representative of something that can produce wildly lucrative gains for, you know, a relatively comparable or more favorable amount of work. On the other side of that, from a personality standpoint, I just find myself much more drawn to relying on extremely sophisticated and savvy individuals that stand to gain millions of dollars if they execute correctly. You know, when I invest in a commercial real estate deal, an operator may stand to gain five or $10 million if they really execute and hit a home run for their investors. And that attracts extremely savvy people with institutional quality backgrounds and people that have gone to business school. And that was just an audience that I had much more rapport with naturally, just um, from the way that I, I like to conduct myself in the way that I like to be perceived. So that was a personality fit and an economics and viability standpoint fit. And so that's the reason that I started investing like that. And then ASIM Capital is basically a vehicle through which investors can invest alongside me in the investments that I'm making for my own personal portfolio. And the iteration of the business has changed significantly since those early days where now we joint venture with operating partners and have a much more integrated approach. But originally the founding of the business was basically I had found a way to invest and a vehicle through which to invest and wanted my friends and family members to participate. Now, just to jump from the beginning to the end, that uh, purchase amount that you just highlighted, my first capital raise was an absolute failure. You know, despite the fact that I had invested personally, despite the fact that I had built a track record up with my own capital, it's very hard to raise money in a world where you're not talking about buying a product for a hundred bucks, you're talking about 50, a hundred quarter million dollar investments. And so that's why I wrote my book, Raising Capital for Real Estate, so that people could learn from my mistakes and do it for their own business. Yeah. So tell us about a couple of those mistakes. Maybe, maybe talk us through. You said 
a failure. So a lot of times people, especially on podcast and anytime they're putting themselves out there, only tell about the big wins. So maybe this is an opportunity if you'd like to share uh, maybe what went wrong. Sure. So, I mean, first of all, if you're listening to this and you're a real estate entrepreneur and you're making that mistake of trying to paint yourself in that Superman light, you're setting yourself up for a lot of challenges later down the road. Number one, it doesn't make you relatable. Number two, in the event that someone buys into the reality that you're Superman and then something goes wrong, which by the way, it always will because you're in real estate with dealing with real people, people will think, oh my gosh, that person's a fraud. He lied to us. He misrepresented who he was. And so I start off my book, which is a book about you know how to be successful in real estate. I started off by telling a story about me having a luncheon where I invited a bunch of friends and family members. All were accredited investors. They had to be to attend the luncheon. There was 30 of them that ended up coming. So $30 million in the room probably or something close to that. And I gave this presentation, a presentation that I was very confident in and would have given today. And at the end of the presentation, I gave out each person a piece of paper to write how much they wanted to invest. And at the end, they turned in the papers. I counted up the total and got a grand total of zero, not $1. And I basically, you know, everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. For me, a major weakness is that was incredibly emotionally damaging for me. Right? The implications financially were something I could live with, but the emotional component of the embarrassment and the fact that I had already committed to be a real estate entrepreneur and raise money and had, couldn't be more clearly a failure at raising money than to get a goose egg, it took me about six months to figure out what had gone wrong. And the key takeaway was that room was filled with people that were already successful that had never really contemplated invested in real estate. And I realized I never wanted to try to convince someone to invest with me. I wanted them to be attracted to me. I wanted them to be so eager to invest that by the time they got to talk to me, all they wanted to know was, do I actually exist and what the routing instructions and wire instructions were? And that may sound like an infomercial, but that's the reality of my business today. And the book is about how to put yourself in a position so that you never have to convince anyone to invest with you because they'll be lining up to do so. Yeah, that that's a huge mindset shift from, hey, will you invest with me of, hey, I let me, let me vet you. I want to make sure that you're okay to invest with me. I mean, that's a completely different vetting. They're not vetting you, you're vetting them, which is such a powerful mindset and overall change to raising capital. That's exactly right. So, well, let, diving into mentors. So, I'm, I'm, you had mentioned how you like to surround yourself with a different type of maybe sophistication uh, that that you had maybe mentioned. So a sophisticated investor, maybe just an entrepreneur or just sophisticated person. Maybe it, it sounds like they might not have to be in, in real estate per se. So tell us the, the five things that you do to find or figure out who or what mentor you might, might need to get to the level that you ultimately dream of, whether that's a bunch of single families or if that's $80 billion of multifamily. Yeah. So first of all, say, this strategy and focusing your efforts on getting someone to give you the playbook 
is the absolute best skill that you can develop as anyone who's interested in bettering yourself, whether it be through your relationships with your family, whether it be through entrepreneurship, whether it be through anything that's important. If you can identify someone who is best in class at that particular thing and encourage them and inspire them to straight up give you their roadmap to their own success in that arena, it is an incredibly powerful tool. And the key there is to inspire them, right? The key there is to identify them, find out how similarly they are participating, in my case, in real estate compared to how you want to participate, and then find a way to inspire them to give you all the details. And I'll go through five. I talk about my book the key momentum indicators, because that is truly the kryptonite of any, mo- any mentor. If you can show that you are already creating your own momentum, that's what they are so inspired by. It's like you're going 150 miles an hour on a road, one direction, and you want their help so you can go 160 miles an hour. If they see that, they are inspired because for a lot of reasons, one of which is that many of these successful people in this world are competitive. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they want others to not do as well as them. Sometimes you can tap into that competition to inspire people to think, wow, I want to be competitive about how much of a sphere of influence I have on this world in a positive way. And that's the type of person you want to learn from, in my opinion. So here are the five key momentum indicators that can get you a mentor to share that information with you. Number one, an incredible sense of urgency about accomplishing your goals. That alone can get you very, very far. If you can just show someone that you have a clearly identified set of goals and that you will act very quickly in pursuit of those goals because you have a sense of urgency, things are are time bound in this world. And anyone that's accomplished anything of merit, they have done so at a pace that is just breakneck. And this is something that's reoccurring over and over again from the people that I've interviewed on my show and otherwise. Um, So a sense of urgency is number one, which is directly corresponded to number two, which is a high speed of execution. Everything from how quickly an idea goes from concept to being completed The quickness of that is directly related to the quickness in which you will accomplish your goal. I'll give you just a simple example. If you are listening to this and you have made the decision that you need to open an LLC to start your business, the speed at which you open that LLC is like directly related to how fast you're going to accomplish what you want to accomplish in the sector because your success compounds on itself in the same manner that interest compounds on itself. So you can be one of those people that's compounding at a 90% per year rate, or you can be compounding at a 4% per year rate. So those first two are just really, really powerful. I'll stop for a second, but those, those alone will get you very far. Oh, I, I love them. I, I'd love to dive in to spend an episode on each, each one of these, which I think we easily could. Um, Quick question before, actually, I don't want to lose momentum. Let's, sure. I'll ask a couple of questions. This is great. I, we have a lot of guests on here and I'm, I'm intrigued at these five as much as I have been of any five things. So let's, great. cause I love mentors. That's where I got to be where I am is, is mentors and people that are much smarter than I am helping me. So number three, let's just dive right in. Sure. Attention to detail and a high demand for excellence. One of the reasons that I love this business is that 
you can build a very robust firm with a very small infrastructure. You know, I know teams that have a billion dollars worth of real estate that have no more than 16 employees. I know teams that have the fourth largest self-storage portfolio in the world with less than 40, or I guess the United States, with less than 40 employees. So you can do some incredible things. But what this requires is that your team members wear different hats efficiently and effectively, learn things quickly, and then deliver extremely high quality products and finish products every time. And when you put something out, it has to be double checked. It has to be triple checked so that you can constantly move at the pace that we talked about in number one and two without going back and double checking because mistakes in this industry can also be equally as crippling. Moving on to number four. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sure. Obsession with growth and really a natural curiosity and interest into bettering yourself. Um, it's really important as entrepreneurs to recognize your successes, but you frequently find that you should recognize them as motivation for your future growth, right? It can get a little burnt out. I'm sure that people that are listening to this sometimes, their loved ones, they want you, the entrepreneur, to be more congratulatory of yourself because it feels like you're always six months away from accomplishing anything with your life. Trust me, I've been there, but it's really important to focus on the horizon. And there's just an incredible correlation between those who are obsessed about things that happened in their past that they can't control versus things that they want to control and things that they are excited about their future. So obsession with growth is, is number four. And it's a really critical one. Number five, Curiosity about new topics and a desire for expertise. Again, this goes back to the scalability of real estate and the fact that you can accomplish some remarkable things with relatively small teams. So you have to be able to identify skills that are needed. And sometimes they're very challenging skills. I mean, looking at Excel underwriting models, for example, if you don't have a background going to business school, that can be something that's very challenging. Well, guess what? If you want to be in the business and you want to be an underwriter, you have to be able to underwrite better than the guys you're competing against. And when I say who you're competing against, Warren Buffett, you know, Carl Icahn, like real estate attracts people of that caliber and for good reason. So going into this business, just understanding that you need to be curious and then also just have an incredible demand for expertise because of who your competitors are, I think is a very powerful trait. And those five right there, if I see someone that comes to me and says, listen, I've listened to your podcast. Here are three things that we have in common. I, I just recently opened my website. I just recently created my LLC. And I want to get on the phone with you because I don't know if I should focus on self-storage or mobile home parks. You know how frequently I'm going to take that call? almost all the time, despite the fact that my schedule is slammed because that inspires me. I see myself in that person. And by the way, I'm in a position where I'm simultaneously able to help those who are growing their momentum. But at the same time, I'm always reaching out to people who have accomplished things that I would dream of accomplishing. So it's good to always, because why, why is that? Because I'm obsessed with growth because I'm obsessed with looking into the horizon and I want to help other people as well. So really powerful stuff there. Hopefully that resonates. Oh, that for me, it, it hits home. Those are an amazing five topics uh, that come around the mentorship and just personal growth. So before we go to, to break, I have one question on that is you do all these five. Who, who are you reaching out to? You know, what, what are, 
like how maybe what are what are some steps or ideas to make sure that you find that the mentor you're doing what you had mentioned one of your listeners maybe did to you, you know, here's these three things I've done. Now I have this question. How do they make sure that that you or whoever they're reaching out to is the right person? Because you said that you like to surround yourself with certain individuals. So maybe that they need to find out who their individual themselves is before they can find out who they need as a mentor. Or does that matter? It might not even matter. Great question. Yeah, you hit nail on the head. In my opinion, it is absolutely critical from A to Z. You know, when you go to networking events, uh, people, you know, I talk about in the book that the fact you should take your time very seriously. And if you're not there to make a contact that's worth at least $2,000 or get an idea that's worth at least $2,000, you shouldn't go because you can figure out another way to make $2,000 in the time that you're sitting at that networking event. But that is nothing compared to how valuable a mentor will be. And they're only valuable if you can see yourself learning from, engaging with, and then potentially partnering with them later down the road in 5, 10, 50 years. So it's critical that you, number one, that they're an absolute expert in the field. Number two, that they operate in the field that you want to work in, in a very similar manner in the way that you want to be positioned and that you see eye to eye to them and have a good gut feel about them. You know, so we've kind of handled the pragmatic stuff. Okay. Are they in the real estate business? Do they work in an asset class that I'm focused on? And then also, you know, is it a culturally a good fit? Can I see us being friends? Because, you know, the name of my company is ASIM Capital, short for asymmetric, asymmetric returns in particular. Any relationship you have with a mentor in the beginning is going to be asymmetric. That's the reason that you want them to mentor you. You have a little bit of knowledge. They have a ton of knowledge. Well, over the next 5, 10, 50 years, that asymmetry should balance itself out. And, you know, I was mentored by someone who is Jeremy Roll. Um, he's a Wharton Business School grad, and I was really turned on by the way that he thought about things on a risk-adjusted basis. And I went from someone who was reviewing deals with him, and he was basically teaching me about deals to someone that was providing deal flow for him, and then someone that we've partnered with on millions of dollars of transactions. So, that's a great example. So you want to be able to give back later down the road and put yourself in their position. They, yes, they're making a huge investment of their time, but the goal is to eventually have that symbiotic relationship so that both of you guys can grow together. And that's when it's really fun. Yeah. And then you rinse and repeat and you, you become the mentor down the road and you're the, on the other side of the asymmetrical giving. That's so, exactly right. Yes. Well, super excited to what we've learned. Let's take a quick break and we're even going to dive in a little more with the final five. Mr. Mr. Hunter. Hey, it's Adam Adams and I am thrilled and excited to announce the launch of my brand new, brand new YouTube channel. So I don't know if you like YouTube or not, if you watch YouTube or not, but if you do head over and please Subscribe to the Apartment Investing Show. This YouTube channel is 100% about apartments only. If you're looking to fix and flip, not the right show for you. If you're looking to invest in hotels, not the right show for you. This is the Apartment Investing Show, and I mean the Apartment Investing Show, and I'm thrilled and excited about it. If you can, do me a giant favor, run over there, 
right now, if you're a YouTube watcher and find the Apartment Investing Show, please give me a rating and a review, like give us a thumbs up and subscribe, click that bell. We're going to be pushing out some amazing content on the YouTube channel. So if you are looking to scale and grow and get into apartments, whether it's syndication or just owning these on your own, the Apartment Investing Show is the right show for you. Go look for the Apartment Investing Show on YouTube right now, and I'll see you there. Welcome back from break. We have Hunter. We're going to dive right into the final five, which starting off with my favorite question, Hunter, what is the most creative real estate deal that you've been involved in? Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, creativity has been something that I I wouldn't describe many of the deals I've done as creative, but I'll tell you what I found that I think your your audience will resonate with. I love picking up on favorable risk-adjusted ways to generate good returns. And so anytime, you know, we did a self-storage deal once where we're doing underwriting, we're going to due diligence, we go on site, and we're trying to find ways that the previous management has left money on the table, so to speak, so that we can create value, right? And justify the purchase because there's a clear vision into value creation. And you started noticing really small things that seem inconsequential, but when you put them into Excel, they become very pronounced. I'll give you an example. We noticed that they weren't actually selling scissors. Now, in the self-storage business, people are moving in and out. There's boxes, there's tape involved, et cetera. And they had one pair of scissors that the owner was just letting people borrow so that they could open their boxes. Now, that's probably a $15 pair of scissors. And even if you have to buy it for $6 and sell it for $15, it's whatever, $7 margin. That seems like it doesn't matter. But when you see things like that, it starts to become very apparent that it's not just the scissors that they're doing that with, right? It's the fact that they're not requiring insurance. It's the fact that they're not actually raising rents when they should be. Obviously, that's a really glaring one. It's the fact that all the merchandise sales are probably not really operating at the efficiency that they should be. And if you can just do something like add mandatory insurance requirements on a self-storage facility, that can boost NOI by $1,500 a month, if not more. So when you're talking about a couple little things here and there, if I can get $3,000 a month in NOI multiplied by 12 divided by a six cap, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars created by these little nitpicky things that are just a matter of implementation as opposed to capital expenditure. So again, on a risk-adjusted basis, I really like that. That's great. It's kind of the non-creative. It's just the basics, finding, getting creative by finding the bare minimum basics of how you can add value. Um, Exactly. The ancillary income things are just seeing the value there through really standard practices of adding value to your tenant base. Great. What, uh, where do you see the market in five years and where do you see yourself at that time? You know, it's so interesting because my career was built in the wake of the most pronounced real estate downturn in the history of the United States, maybe other than the Great Depression. And so my strategies were formed and very much influenced by that and going to those networking events where everyone's head is in their hands. They can't believe what's been going on with their business. But the reality is real estate is such an incredible bet over any three and five and 10 year period. 
And there's companies that made money for 100 years that only lost money once during 2008. So where's the market in five years? Regardless, real estate's going to be the, one of the best ways to create wealth for yourself and one of the best ways to create personal freedom for yourself and your employees and your family. So it's going to be good in five years, you know, because it's almost always good. And there's always an opportunity. Where, where do you see yourself in five years? What's kind of be, going to be your focus based on that real estate is always a safe bet? Yeah. I mean, I would say real estate is always a safe bet, but not all real estate, right? So you got to be very cautious about that. Um, I am very blessed to, if I had an extra three zeros in my bank account, I would be doing the exact same interview. You know, I love doing this interview. Uh, this is like my favorite way to spend my time. So I feel very lucky in the sense that we do want to grow. We do want to get additional investors. We do want to build relationships with investors and we do want to generate those great returns for them. But in terms of day to day, my business is very much focused on my unique ability and speaking and teaching is one of the things that I love to do. So hopefully the exact same thing I'm doing now, maybe I'll have a nicer apartment or maybe a second house or something like that. <laughs> That, that's great. Well, I don't know if the listeners are picking up on this. This is the last uh, you know few minutes of our our show, but because of the work from home, we uh, I am now in our our home office, and I made sure our landscape crew did not uh, come on Wednesdays. And sure enough, our landscape crews are are out mowing. I'm not for sure if this is picking up, but. Uh, I, I apologize if it is because the value that Hunter is providing right now is uh, way more respected and than, than some mowing noise in the background. So I apologize if that is, is picking up. So, um, but Hunter, what's, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite book? One that you read or one you just recommend? All, I mean, there's so many books that people talk about all the time and I have a lot of respect for those books. I'll give you one that most people don't talk about. So Miracle Mornings for, uh, excuse me, Miracle Mornings is a very popular book that gives a lot of tips about how to create a morning routine. I love that book, but the one that I found much more powerful is Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs. And the reason I write that, the reason I say that is that Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs was co-written both by Hal Elrod, who wrote that original book, and Cameron Harold, who is just a huge inspiration to me. They're a good team because um, Hal Elrod focuses on the meditation, the visualization, the scribing, and the working out. Cameron Harold is the previous COO of Got Junk. And so he's very pragmatic. He's very systems oriented. And so the combination of those two is kind of a good mix of what I think a, a really great entrepreneur is. So it's a good book. Check it out. That's great. You've mentioned this throughout the whole episode, which is is mentoring and mentors. So I'm guessing that's maybe going to be one of your answers. But what what's maybe another way that you like to give back to the real estate community that's that's given so much to you over over your career? Yeah. So you know, I again, I said my schedule is very busy. I mean, that's that's very typical. I, however, I really do love helping people. And because of that, I did create something called the CFC mentorship program. And at first I was very hesitant to get into the world of paid coaching or programs or anything like that. But I got contacted by an individual that I felt very motivated by, and he wanted to learn about 
my perspective on commercial real estate. And I didn't find a source out there that was really focused on a holistic view of the commercial real estate sector. And offline, we're talking about the fact that you're interested in multiple different asset classes. Most programs are designed just for one specific niche. And as an investor, I like to participate in a wide variety of different asset classes. So I ended up creating this mentorship program and it's turned into something that I am so proud of. Um, I do like doing it, but more than anything, I have seen students take off like rocket ships after graduating. And anyway, it's cool. If, you, if you're interested, you can check it out at cfcmentorshipprogram.com. Yeah, we'll toss that in the show notes so people can check that out for sure. And, and maybe I will ask a, a quick question on that, on the mentors, is there are a lot of people that, that do it for a paid uh, consulting. So is there maybe anything someone should look out for or handle it a little differently by saying, Hey, I'm kind of asking your time for free when you, you might get paid to do this, or there are others like you that are getting paid to do this. Is there anything people might tread lightly on, uh, around the mentorship on a paid or non-paid basis? Great question. Great question. Because if you can hack, you know, you want to get as much as you can for free, right? So I would say this, um, and this is what I tell people that are interested in ours. If you just found out about me and you call me and want to sign up for our program, I say, why don't you go listen to at least 10 of our free podcast episodes. And if you like the way that I talk and you're interested in the types of things I'm talking about, then let's have that conversation at the point. You should devour anyone that has a public persona. If they have free content, devour that until you feel like you're hitting a ceiling and can't get any more out of the free content. And I'd also say that you should also reach out to them and see if they're available for a 30 minute call. And in that call, the goal should be to, well, when I do those calls, because I will do a 30-minute call, I will just give them so much content and so much homework assignments and say, call me in a month if you finish this. Then if they've done all that stuff, I go, okay, listen, I've got this program and blah, blah, blah. Because I don't care how many people go through the program. What I want is the right people. You know what I mean? And that's anyone that's successful in this business. That's what they want. They want to surround themselves with the right clients, the people that build relationships for decades to come. So, that's my suggestion. You are listening to this program. You are incredibly gifted with amazing interviews and webinars and podcasts all over the internet for free. So devour that. Identify someone who you believe is that person that we highlighted earlier and you have a gut, good gut feel about them. Reach out to them. See if you can get on a one-on-one call and then go through the homework that they give you. You'll be in a good spot. Excellent. Excellent feedback to that, that question. Very helpful. What's the one way that people can reach out to you if they do want to engage after they've devoured your content, the 10 <laughs> episodes, they've yeah. learned that your personality is their personality. So after they've done that, uh, what's the best way they can reach out to you? Yeah, well, I mean, just in that vein, if you shoot me an email at info at asymcapital.com and ask me for some of my favorite podcast episodes that we've done, I'll shoot you a list of 10. And then once you go through them, then hit me up, we'll talk. That's awesome. We'll, we'll throw that in show notes, the link, so you click on it and, and fire off that question. So, well, this has been an often awesome episode. I, I'm just going to quickly, we don't normally do this. We normally uh, just kind of end this show on a riding off into the sunset, but because this is so valuable, I want to go back really quickly. I, I took some notes and, uh, and just quickly dive in just to make sure that people for a second time got hit up on 
on the overall mentorship kind of pr- program. And that's, you have to have a sense of emergency, high speed of execution, how quickly you can get that LLC and get that, that business up and going once you know that that's the business you want to go after. Attention to detail and you're spitting off that high quality product or service then it's an obsession with growth. Once, once you started that LLC, then you always are striving to get to that next level. While along the way, congratulating yourself on, on those wins, but yet always seeing that as a way to, to grow the next step. And then overall, just curiosity and, and desire for expertise. So you do those five and you find that person that's, that's in the kind of the real estate sector that's in a similar asset class and that has a culture similar to yours. And then you fire off those specific questions or you make that ask. And if you've done those things, you should be able to find the right mentor to help you get the next level. And ultimately you can then help them even get to another level of growth that they're ultimately striving for. As the saying is, is rising tide raises all ships. You help, they help you, you help them, win-win. Hunter, is that kind of a, a decent wrap-up? That's exactly right. And I'll say this, just a quick pitch for myself. If you like that content, this is a huge part of my book, Raising Capital for Real Estate. You can get it for free when you pay for shipping at raisingcapitalforrealestate.com. Great. We'll throw that in the show notes as well. Hunter, absolute pleasure. You're a rock star. Look forward to having you on here, maybe in the future for another topic that you can dive into. Super smart guy. And we appreciate you sharing a few minutes of your day. Happy to do it. Thanks again. Excellent. All right, Hunter. Thank you. And, and my friends, as always, until next episode, think outside the box. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Jason Lewis and myself, Adam Adams, are grateful to have you as a loyal listener. And I do have one quick favor to ask is if you are looking for apartment investing, then go to apartmentinvestingshow.com. That is the brand new YouTube channel that I just launched. Brand new YouTube channel. Uh, Again, this is only for apartment investing. That's all we talk about there. It is the apartment investing show and you can find it by going to apartmentinvestingshow.com.